The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Help! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 293 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is careers for young people living with blindness. A career is a person's course through their work life. That's how it's defined. A career involves the person's life and learning as well as their work life. A career may often involve an occupation or a profession that requires special training or formal education. A career may be supported by career guidance that helps persons decide on and develop and manage their careers. Now, a career that's sought by a young person living with a disability raises questions of career opportunities and the challenges they're likely to experience, which are associated with those career opportunities, especially in March 2014, when so many young people are experiencing difficulties in finding careers, which is why our topic careers for young people living with blindness is so important. And to discuss it, our guests are Bronwyn Funciello and Rabia Keda. Bronwyn, Bronwyn has lived in Ottawa, Canada for the past 35 years. She became blind at the age of 11. She's a strong advocate for persons with disabilities. She has a particular passion for equitable access to public education. She's been an elected school board trustee since 2003, and she's also worked for the federal government. And she's the proud parent of five children. She's an avid runner and looks forward to competing in her first half Ironman in summer 2014. And she believes that anything is achievable. Rabia holds the MA degree from York University, Canada. She's executive director of the Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities and a board member of the Federation of Muslim Women and the Ontario Women's Health Network. She chairs the City of Mississauga Accessibility Advisory Committee. She's a human rights trainer and consultant with her own company, Diversity Works, and that's spelled D-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y-W-O-R-X, and it's all one word, Diversity Works. Uh, Rabia is active in raising awareness about disabilities issues, women's rights, and Islamophobia. She's a recipient of the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. She's mother of four children, and she's blind. Welcome to the show, Bronwyn and Rabia. 
Hello, and thank you. Thank okay. you. Now, I'm going to start with Bronwyn first, please. Bronwyn, please tell us more about your own career and your living with blindness. Bronwyn? Well, I guess I, you know, was um, quite young when I lost my sight quite suddenly, and I was a student in school, and within a couple of months, I went from having perfect eyesight to being considered legally blind, and that was at a time where students with um, disabilities, and in particular blindness, really weren't um, weren't accommodated within the regular school system. My parents insisted on me remaining in the regular school system, so I, at a very young age, had to become a strong self-advocate, and um, so went through the school system and experienced um, all kinds of uh, challenges, but also a lot of triumphs and successes. And but but I think that really did that really did in, invoke a strong passion in me to advocate for access to public education. I come from a family. My grandfather was a teacher for over fifty years, and my family certainly held education in a very high um, high level of importance. And when I um, was a, uh, a parent. I have uh, two, two of my children were identified as having special needs not related to, to blindness, but um, my daughter has a severe language learning disability and I have a son also with um, learning disabilities. And again, began to advocate on behalf of my own children, recognize how, recognizing how important it was to, to really have their needs properly identified and to advocate to ensure that those needs were met. From there, it was a natural, um, natural progression for me to begin advocacy for others, uh, recognizing that not everyone has, has that voice or um, sometimes has the, has the capacity or, uh, what not to advocate uh, for themselves. Um, in 1999, I first joined the Special Education Advisory Committee for the Public School Board in Ottawa, and in 2003 decided to put my name forward to run uh, for school board trustee in uh, in the municipal election. I have since been elected three three consecutive elections, always contested. and uh, um, Great. Now, Bronwyn, I'm going to stop you because of the tyranny of time, as I call it, but you will have an opportunity to finish what you were wanting to say just then. But I want to go to Rabia now. And it's the same question, Rabia. Please tell us about your own career and living with blindness. Rabia, please. Hmm. Well, my story is a little bit different. Um, I came here as an immigrant child at age four. I have a uh, genetic eye condition. It's recessive, um, and, and that means that both my parents are carriers of the gene, hence voila. My, um, fam- in my family history, I have, you know, a distant great uncle who had this eye condition. I have an, uh, you know, a first uncle that had, had, has this eye condition and a couple of younger cousins. Um, and my sister, who's 11 years younger, also has the same eye condition. And, and we have a couple of brothers in between uh, with developmental disabilities, that being a whole different genetic fluke um, between our parents uniquely. So... I came here uh, and, and in, in, into the Toronto area at age four. My parents first took me to the best doctors in town through Sick Kids Hospital, et cetera. 
Uh, I was fitted with glasses, and wow, I could see a lot better than I ever remember before. Um, television was my best friend. No one asked my parents about uh, my enrollment in school. My father was too busy working. My mother never had formal education. So I uh, simply was not enrolled in school. Nobody thought about it, and nobody asked uh, in, in terms of the healthcare system uh, wherever I was involved. Nobody asked, is she in school? So eventually one day somebody said to my parents, hey, uh, you're in Canada. There should be opportunities to education for your daughter, so take her to the local school. My father walked me into the local school, explained to administration that I, I had poor eyesight because that's how he understood it. Uh, and that I wore glasses. They did an assessment on me, and, uh, you know, I had learned amazingly well uh, communication skills and basic literacy through watching a lot of TV. Television was my best friend. Um, so I was assessed by the school board, psychoeducational consultant or school psychologist, and because the lighting in the environment where they were assessing me was poor, I performed pretty poorly. They placed me in a learning disability class. It took a couple of years for that to get sorted out, for me to be mainstreamed, and, and all that came with its own challenges, but hence, you know, age appropriated and all that kind of stuff. I completed my education. I got an undergraduate degree, got married, got a job, had kids, all that kind of stuff. And my career just took its own journey. I was going to start out with a career in human resources and ended up working in uh, disability services and advocacy and all that kind of stuff. And eventually... Right. I'm going to just stop you there for the same reason that uh, I stopped Bronwyn, that I now want to ask you both about your work. It is the tyranny of time. Uh, I hate having to do this, but we, we are being disciplined by the machine. So, Bronwyn, please just finish, your, finish off telling us about your work in a short space of time. You will be saying more about that later on. But, Bronwyn, please tell us about your work. Essentially, as, as you noted in, in the introduction, I am an elected school board trustee and have been elected three consecutive, um, for three consecutive terms. And in addition to that, I work full-time for the federal government. I'll focus on my, on my, my school board work, which is, you know, probably takes um, about 25 hours a week, and that's in addition to my full-time uh, full job. So I'm certainly very, very busy. And um, the role of trustee, there are 12 elected trustees that are at our school board, and we are elected in Ottawa to represent a particular area of the city that usually that consists of, um, in my case, two city council wards. And in that role, we, um, we're responsible for policy development, for uh, governance at the school board, overseeing um, programs and, and services for all students. It certainly involves a lot of, uh, a lot of reading, a lot of um, communication with the, with the public and also with our staff. It involves, um, I was for the past three years vice chair of the board, which involved a lot of chairing of meetings and ensuring that all of the um, all of the different uh, bylaws and, and rules of order were, were, were followed. 
um, and it, it's and, and it also involves a lot of a lot of advocacy, a lot of helping the community and helping parents navigate the education system right. and ensuring that their students have access to high quality education. Barbara, I'm going to stop you there because there will be more to talk about mm-hmm. in the next segment about that. Now, Rabia, please tell us about your work. As I mentioned, Gordon, I started with uh, anticipating a career in human resources because I majored in industrial relations and political science in university. And um, lo and behold, jobs weren't out there to be found. I got, uh, you know, a little internship uh, with uh, a government uh, uh, crown corporation. And uh, after that, I had a child and, and went on mat leave and that contract ended so I had no job to go back to and just coincidentally a, an opportunity came up at the CNIB at the local office. I had always said, you know, I have enough of disability personally, I'm not going to make a profession out of it. Uh, you know, somebody up there had a different plan for me so I took that plan and ran with it. I ended up uh, working in a number of disability organizations from doing outreach and awareness raising to uh, mobilizing uh, people for participatory action research initiatives around uh, race, culture, gender, and disability through ERDCO, and eventually uh, working in employment services, working on accommodations for people with disabilities. And then one day, I just said, hey, I need to do something more. I need to do things that make a difference. I need to balance my career and life, and I decided to uh, become self-employed, running Diversity Works as an independent consultant, offering training and uh, community-based research types of uh, services, and uh, eventually, uh, with a group of friends, founded uh, CAMD, the Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities. And at this juncture in my life, having volunteered extensively, having uh, you know chaired the City of Mississauga Committee, uh, Accessibility Advisory Committee, and being involved in all kinds of other uh, activities and, and in different spaces and places to advance access and equity and inclusion, I'm, I've sort of come full circle and said, I've achieved what I can from the outside. Now I need to be at the decision-making table. So I'm really glad to be meeting um, my, my friend uh, from Ottawa here, uh, Bronwyn, Bronwyn, because yes. I am uh, going to be running a municipal campaign this year to become a city council rep. Right. Now, I'm going to stop you there, not because of bad things that we don't want to hear that story or hear how you recruit Bronwyn to your campaign. <laughs> That's for later. Um, but it's time that we have to pay the rent. That is to say, it's time to take the short break. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guests are Bronwyn Funicello and Rabia Keller. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus Drug Discount Card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word TALK RADIO to 96362. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bronwyn Funicello and Rabia Keda. Our topic is careers for young people living with blindness. Now, both of you, let's talk about the challenges encountered by young people who are living with blindness and who are seeking careers. So, Bronwyn, first, in your work you know, with the school board, what do you see or regard or perceive as the greatest challenges experienced by young people who are living with blindness and who are either seeking careers or want to seek careers. Bronwyn? I think you know, it's, it's um, interesting to reflect on that, especially, you know, having uh, been a young person um, with blindness, you know, many years ago and going through the education system and, and seeing where things have come now and in many ways things have, have really evolved and in many of the... Um, Many of the challenges, though, are, are still there in different ways. I would say that uh, some of the biggest challenges um, continue to be the sort of attitudinal ones, sometimes the misconceptions and the limitations uh, people want to place on on uh, persons with disabilities based on their assumptions and perceptions. And, and, and that's something that, you know, in spite of how things have evolved in the, in the 30-some years since I lost my sight, I, I certainly recall at the time even feeling my biggest frustration was often those limitations that others wanted to impose. Right. Now, Rabia, it's exactly the same question, but asking you what you regard as the greatest challenges experienced by young people who are doing the two things, living with blindness and who are seeking careers. Rabia? 
Uh, again, I, I would uh, echo the same sentiment, that attitudinal barriers are the biggest barriers that uh, all people with disabilities, including folks who are blind or visually impaired, encounter when getting out into the quote-unquote real world uh, beyond the, the protective environment of, of school. Um, certainly that's, that's what I discovered. I thought the world was merit-based and I was studying all this employment equity stuff and, you know, whatever when I was doing my undergrad and the first job I went out for, you know, I walked in very confident saying I have this and I have that and, you know, I can be accommodated, uh, easily with these tools and these programs. And the individual uh, firm was not comfortable in hiring me. And I was, for, for a moment, I was taken aback and then, you know, moved on from that. But um, so attitudinal barriers. I also believe that a lot of young people with disabilities uh, coming through the school system have unrealistic expectations of the type of career they should truly choose because they don't recognize the barriers they will face once out in the workforce. And transportation. Transportation is, is a significant barrier for people with vision loss because for people with other forms of physical disabilities, for example, there is alternative uh, specialized transportation services or, you know, in, in many cases, people with physical disabilities can certainly drive themselves. But for us who cannot see well enough to drive or cannot see, period, it's ain't a good idea to drive, uh, transportation becomes a significant barrier when seeking jobs. Right. Now, to go to Bronwyn, um, just a follow-on question. In what types of careers that you're aware of, anyway, do you young people in the situation they're living with blindness uh, and that they're looking for careers, um, what are the greatest difficulties that, in your view, that they have in being accepted for those careers? Bronwyn? No, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, um, a, a tough question to answer in, in general terms because I think that, I, you know, there certainly are some really, really positive experiences and there are some negative ones. And a lot of it, unfortunately, is sort of, you know, based on um, the individual circumstances. I mean, I've heard wonderful success stories of blind and visually impaired people being very successful in um, in all kinds of um, career areas. Obviously, there are going to be some limitations when, um, when you know, I certainly... Uh, don't you know as as Rabia said in terms of you know when you're not going to find any blind or visually impaired bus drivers <laughs> but a lot of um you know a lot of it it, things have certainly evolved. I know in my federal government job there's a lot of opportunities very very open uh, my experience certainly has been very very open and accepting and certainly seeing my ability right up there alongside anyone else's, and that is not something just reserved for me. That certainly is, is doors open for um, young people wanting to enter into the government. Now, when I first looked at working at the government over um, 20 years ago, and I entered in as a term, that was a very different experience. You know, but I, I think, I don't know if it's specific to, to a particular career as, as much as... Um, 
the the openness of any organization. I worked for actually I worked for a time as an assistant pastry chef, and I worked for a catering company that was very open and very comfortable to um, making some modifications in their in in their kitchen to allow me to do the baking, and it was very successful. A lot of people. There are some other. Um, some other companies that might be very nervous and impose those limitations without providing that opportunity for for that person. So, unfortunately, it still seems to be luck of the draw a little bit in terms of how open the person is who's who's doing the hiring. Thanks. Now, Rabia, I'm asking you the same question, but as it relates to employment sectors. In other words, um, what and what are the employment sectors that um, young people living with blindness and who are seeking careers experience their greatest difficulties? And in a way, it's a, a response to Bronwyn. Bronwyn's identified government and catering as two areas where adaptations were made, whether that she made the caution that that might be not true of all uh, employment in those particular sectors, but nevertheless. So let's go back to this question for you, Rabia. In what employment sectors do young people experience the greatest difficulties in being accepted? Rabia? Uh, I, would, I, I would say that most people with, uh, you know, who, who have disabilities or blindness or vision loss, uh, they tend to find hiring opportunities more successfully in larger companies, Fortune 500s, the companies that are regulated through the federal contractors or, or employment equity types of initiatives uh, under uh, law, and, of course, the federal government and, and other uh, governmental levels, uh, the public sector and the broader public sector uh, tend to have uh, more equitable policies and hiring practices to provide greater opportunity to people with disabilities, including vision loss. However, um, if people with, dis uh, with disabilities, with low vision or, or blindness, haven't had adequate access to education beyond high school uh, in terms of post-secondary education and, and some uh, experience outside of post-secondary education, it is very, very difficult to find employment. It is difficult to find employment in uh, small or, or mid-sized uh, employment environments. Um, you know, for example, uh, in, in manufacturing sectors, in sales, in retail, uh, in, in many of those sectors, it would be challenging, and, and a lot of times because people uh, don't have, uh, employers don't have uh, progressive hiring practices and, and employment, uh, you know, recruitment strategies, uh, they are shy to give opportunities to people that they view might be a health and safety risk. You know, mm -hmm. that, that issue always comes up for people with disabilities. Right. Bronwyn, did you want to say something about that, the health and safety issues? Bronwyn? No, I just certainly agree with it. And again, you know, it's, it's when, those, um, when those hiring practices, when those decisions are made based on assumptions and perceptions rather than that employer um, 
sort of doing 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 the uh, the work and and reaching out a little bit to understand how something might be possible rather than the sort of quick and easy uh, conclusion that something is not possible. Let me just go back to Rambia on question of the particular sectors and the time we're in. This is March 2014. We've just had a tough winter all across North America. And the economy is in a shaky state. And what I hear from young people, and I'm not involved with them all that much, but I do get involved with them to some extent, is that there are just aren't the career opportunities out there. So, um, Rabia, do you agree with that sense that everybody's suffering a bit? Uh, when I say everybody, I mean all young people who want careers are suffering from the economy and difficult times. Am I right about that? Yes, you are certainly right about that. Actually, Gordon, there was an interesting documentary that aired on uh, February the 1st, and forgive me, but I can't recall which uh, channel it aired on. It was a Canadian documentary comparing uh, employment opportunities and access to education and careers uh, within a Canadian context to a European context, particularly uh, a Swiss context. And it was really, really interesting that most young people across the border having a hard time. So mm-hmm. couple that with a disability and in, in the case of the folks that I tend to uh, advocate for, uh, more so people who have other identity markers that further marginalize them as in race, immigration status, language, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the jobs just job opportunities are just not there. And what's really, really interesting is that um, our uh, post-secondary sector is is booming with opportunities and options for higher education. However, there seems to be a disconnect in linking that higher education to actual careers and jobs out there uh, with industry, with business, uh, etc. So uh, that's what this documentary was highlighting. And they were saying that we truly need a national educational strategy, and it'll take generations to really correct this huge gap that we have. Now, talking of gaps, this is the moment where we have to take the break. Um, So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Anthony, and my guests are Bronwyn Funicello and Rabia Keda. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bronwyn Funicello and Rabia Keda. Our topic is careers for young people living with blindness. Now, let's talk about the ways for overcoming the challenges, the challenges you've been talking about. And these are the challenges for young people who are living with blindness and who are also seeking careers. So, Bronwyn, you mentioned what you regard as the greatest challenges experienced by young people. And you also mentioned some, uh, I think, encouraging, encouraging signs as well. But let's talk about the ways in which the challenges that remain are overcome or should be overcome. Bronwyn, please. ...individual to understand what their, what their own needs are. And especially in you know, t- today's age, there, there are so many tools that are available that can help to uh, meet many of those challenges and I and I think I mean my own experience with assistive technology now and screen readers for computers and uh, and, and accessible um, smartphones and tablets and other things so having that awareness of, of what your needs are and exactly what accommodations um, you require and and what type of um, what type of special accommodations uh, there there are available because I think that that's an important part in the in the self advocacy and self advocacy is a huge part of it. I think that there's a huge role to be played in the overall um, building of public awareness, which I think we we all have a responsibility to in terms of. Uh, uh, continuing to break down the the, the the barriers that are created by the stereotypes and the attitudinal uh, the attitudinal challenges, um, but you know, and and again, you know, the resiliency and and, and perseverance is, uh, is is there was a, two attributes that are probably the um, most important indicators of success. I think in order to be able to uh, you know, when when you face one one obstacle or one door that closes, that you're able to sort of pick yourself up and get moving through that next door. Um, so, right. Okay. Now, Rabia, again, same question, but 
regarding what you see regard as the greatest challenges who are living with blindness and who are seeking careers in employment sectors, the kind that you've been talking about, in what ways are the challenges, those challenges, overcome or should be overcome? Rabia? Again, I would echo similar sentiments that uh, people uh, who are blind or visually impaired really have to strongly advocate for themselves. They have to communicate their needs effectively. They have to be aware of what their accommodations uh, requirements are in, in a particular job. And they have to be prepared with the information that the employer needs uh, to accommodate them. The, the, the easier they make the employer's uh, uh, job around accommodation, the, the more successful that employment relationship outcome will be. So certainly technology has come a huge way. Uh, to support the employment of people with disabilities today, uh, particularly people with low or no vision, you know, screen readers and, and uh, site enhancement uh, software, large print software, uh, other tools uh, that can assist, uh, certainly have opened new doors and new possibilities. So, so if there was ever a time to to be living with a disability, looking for jobs, particularly living with blindness, today is it uh, because of the, the progress that we have made in terms of access to information through technological advances. Um, again, I would uh, say that uh, there are a lot of challenges, but communication breaks down those barriers and, and, and addressing, you know, addressing those challenges is, is uh, definitely possible if the individual themselves takes the onus upon them to be armed with all the information that they need when walking into that interview and negotiating the possibility of a job. Well, can I, just, I just would like to add something, too, if that's okay. Yes. Um, and, and that's the one thing that I certainly um, have recognized, especially as we're uh, moving to, um, you know, all of these advances in technology and the whole concept of universal design and what is essential for some really is good for all. And, and, and certainly what I've seen in my own experience as a school board trustee, before becoming a trustee when I was on our SEAC, I would still have difficulty getting things in an accessible format. And I would often get an effort in large print, but it was usually just something uh, photocopied, blown up onto large paper. And even my young uh, young learning disabled daughter at the time said, Mommy, you don't need bigger paper, you need bigger letters. And, uh, you know, but now we've mm. got to the point where I actually have um, a total paperless um, backup for all of my board meetings because I listen to it all. But what that did, when, when we moved towards providing me with the information in the electronic format, we were then also had everything in that electronic format, so it allowed it to be placed on the website. So now all the public also had paperless access to all the information for our board meetings. So uh, an, an effort to make things accessible for me has actually turned out to be a huge benefit to the public at large in terms of access to information. So I think we really need to be raising awareness and promoting things in that way that you know, often uh, providing opportunities might be um, important for some, but, but has some net benefit to everybody. 
And Gordon, if I can just add there, what, yes, what uh, Bronwyn is uh, alluding to is also supported through legislative uh, changes that have really advanced the rights of people with disabilities. So through our, you know, human rights laws in, in Ontario and the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, um, all all these opportunities are again possible because there are some obligations that employers have as a result of these laws, and these laws are intended to break down barriers so that everybody benefits, including people with disabilities. Right. Now, I want to go back to Bronwyn on the question of, of these barriers, because what you've said, Bronwyn, is that technology is in fact a, um, a barrier breaker. That is to say, it's, a, it's an enabler. And it's also something that when standardized is useful to pretty well everybody. That's another mm -hmm. key point you've made. Now, I'm just going to ask you just quickly, what, are school boards and schools and school boards assisting young people with that technology that you've been talking about? Is that something that they're doing, Bronwyn? It is something that is being done. It is something where improvements have been made. I think that there is certainly room for more more improvement. I know that the um, within the Ontario um, system, there's an opportunity for schools to apply for special grants from the provincial government to cover the cost of a lot of the assistive technology. However, there continue to be, you know, challenges in how much time it might take to get the equipment, sometimes the um, training on the equipment and that sort of thing. So again, we've, we've, we've come a long way. We're certainly making progress. I think one of the positives is the the more that um, education sector is able to see the difference that technology makes and the success that students are able to experience when they do have meaningful access to the curriculum and to, to, to these learning tools, um, it, it helps to uh, really reinforce it. I think, unfortunately, um, uh, funding, funding seems to be an, an ongoing challenge right. because a lot right. of this technology does not come cheap. Right. Now, Rabia, same, same question, but now, what about progress using this technology, which, as Bronwyn has said, costs money, it's not cheap. What about the progress being made in the private non-profit sectors and so on, making sure that young people are equipped, so to speak, with the kind of technology they're going to need? What, what's the state there, Rabia? Again, your your big employers, your Fortune 500s, your banks, who who have some legal obligations uh, or benchmarks to meet around their hiring practices, uh, being inclusive of people with disabilities. Um, you know, the banks are a prime example. My sister works for a major bank in Toronto, and she has vision loss, and, you know, she describes herself as visually impaired. Uh, she uses uh, Zoom text, and as a project manager in IT, all those accommodations are available. They're never perfect. You know, I must say um, accommodations are never perfect because technology is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. 
um, and because it's constantly changing, assistive technology is always playing catch-up. We just need to get, you know, the big boys on board to make sure that when they design uh, their technology, uh, you know, the, the latest and greatest versions of Microsoft, et cetera, that they, they take uh, assistive technology into account and ensure compatibility rather than, you know, assistive technology uh, developers struggling to catch up constantly and hence the end user constantly struggling uh, to stay in, on top of this new technology to have the right version so they minimize conflict and, and barriers. Um, but, you know, the financial sector, the big banks, they, they tend to be the ones that have all the technology in place and, and accommodations in place. Where, where challenges come in is when they're non-technological accommodations, and again, attitudes become a barrier. Mm-hmm. Right, right, absolutely. Now, we're going to take the break now because in the segment four, which follows, we're going to be talking about some of the things that you both would like to see done to address some of these things you've been talking about. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Natalie, and my guests are Bronwyn Funich-Yellow and Rabia Keller. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bronwyn Finichiello and Rabia Kedda. 
Our topic is careers for young people living with blindness. Now let's talk about both of you. What more you would like to do to assist young people who are living with blindness and who are who are seeking careers. And what I'm referring to is you both active in your your careers are in fact the very point that these this question is raising, which is what more are you going to do with your careers to assist in the with the challenges that we've been talking about. So Bronwyn, first of all, what more would you like to do through the Ottawa Carlton District School Board to assist young people living with blindness and who are seeking careers? Bronwyn? I certainly um, am am a uh, very, very strong and vocal advocate and will continue to be. I think uh, raising raising awareness, but also being being out there as a role model, not just for the the uh, young individuals, but also for the um, probably even even more so for 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 teachers, for potential employers and whatnot to to, to see. Um, the, the type of success that I've that I've had, and sort of to open open their minds, and having that really work as a way to to increase awareness. I mean, I think that uh, there's the importance I place on public education from that uh, K kindergarten to grade 12, and then there's the education of the public in terms of taking it far beyond that to really show that there are um, so many, so much potential for. Uh, so many people, regardless of what their what their visual acuity may be, there's a huge amount that uh, that these young folks have to contribute, and I will continue to advocate. I think that Rabia had made a really important point in terms of really trying to stress the importance of people who are in the position of really making a difference to start thinking about accessibility in the very early development stages so we can move towards a much more accessible world that is not an afterthought or a retrofit, but really built right in at the very, at the very early, early stages, whether it's software, whether it's a building, whether it's, um, whether it's a bus or an elevator that announces what floor you're on. Right, got it. Now, Rabia, what more would you like to do, whether through your company, Diversity Works, or your new career in politics? What would you like to do to assist these young people um, who are seeking careers and yet who are living with blindness? Rabia? Well, similarly, again, it's it's about being out there, being a role model, being an example for people, uh, and particularly you know, in, in particular, younger folks with disabilities and 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 hence or blindness, uh, to really show them that yes, we can. You know, um, that that's really really important to me. Um, through you know my consulting, I'm a seed planter. So I've already had conversations, for example, with the Ministry of Education, uh, with its uh, inclusive education branch, saying, hey, we really need to do something right up from grade 8 onwards to really help uh, students with disabilities navigate their uh, school years and their post-secondary years in the right direction, knowing 
uh, what accommodations are out there, what uh, jobs uh, are, are potentially available to them, what career paths are, are appropriate for them, and what information they need to have uh, in that whole process of, of being accommodated in a career. Um, so I've, I've, I've already, be, you know, I'm a seed planter, like I said, so I've planted some of those seeds, <laughs> suggesting that that's something we need to do. I've also so, you know, um, thought long and hard about trying to establish some peer support groups for for adults living with blindness, particularly adult males who are immigrants or are uh, racialized. I'm finding that there are many of them who are just not finding jobs and, you know, are socially isolated and, and are just, you know, marginalized at all levels. We need to de-isolate them. We need to bring them together. We need to empower them. We need to help them build their soft skills so that they can successfully uh, pursue a career path and be motivated to pursue a career path. So those are a couple of biggies for me. And I think, you know, me, uh, you know, charting waters that have not been navigated before. (laughs) (laughs) Politics in Mississauga, uh, successfully, hopefully, also makes a difference. Right. Now, both, both of you, starting with Bronwyn, but it's the same question. What's your message? your elevator message for families with young people who are living with blindness and who want careers. Bronwyn, first of all. I guess I, I, I think that I have to say is, is you know, recognize, recognize your ability, focus on, on, on uh, really achieving what you uh, really want to achieve and, and, and believe that your, uh, your, your, your family member can achieve and, um, and really work to, to, to advocate and to empower that individual to, 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 to go out there and just to go for it. There's so many amazing opportunities. I am so grateful for all of the incredible opportunities I have had in my, in my work life, in my political life, in my, in my athletic life. And they really don't don't let anything get in your way. If you think if you if you cross a barrier, find a way to get around the barrier or to remove the barrier. <laughs> you know, there just there are so many possibilities. And reach out to individuals. Certainly, like myself, I'm always happy to um to be there and share. And I certainly have found that. Um, uh, especially using things like social media now. There's a huge community out there right. of people just like me that is, are happy to share and to offer advice and guidance along the way. Go for it. Rabia, same question. Your message for family, families and family caregivers. Well, Rabia? I, I, would, I would echo Bronwyn's sentiments, and I would add the fact that, again, uh, seek out, a, you know, find, find somebody to connect the young person in your life with who who is successful and has a disability and is out there that's really really important that sort of mentoring relationship is important um, ensure that you know your your child or your family member is is empowered to advocate for themselves 
and have a well-rounded life mm-hmm. that they not only participate in, in education fully with all the supports that they need, and if that means extra tutoring, it's worth investing in that above and beyond what the school can offer. It is also important to encourage them to participate in, uh, you know, extracurricular activities through school and beyond school. I mean, as someone who grew up uh, quite sheltered um, and, and had limited access to many things for, for a variety of reasons, um, I have made sure that my children are, you know, overly stimulated in many different areas. I never learned how to skate. Well, I run a skating program where, you know, today my husband and children uh, teach newcomer children how to skate whose parents don't know how to step on the ice even in their shoes. Um, we run, you know, just because of faith-based requirements, we run a gender-specific swim program to ensure that young girls are learning all those life-saving skills that they need to learn that I never had access to learning, and I was too shy to express the needs that I had. A little bit of it was disability and a little bit of it was uh, spiritual values that I couldn't communicate to my school uh, to accommodate me in such programming. So it, it, it's, you know, ensuring that they have as much exposure and experience out there possible and, and, and build their self-esteem and self-confidence to speak up for themselves. That's key. I, I spoke up for myself when I absolutely had to, when I was pushed in a corner. I, you know, I'm not the same person that I was in my school years. Today, I, I advocate, but I wish I, I could have advocated at this level much younger than I was because, you know, I might have picked different career paths. I might have done even better in school. Maybe I would have gotten a scholarship. I was a, I was a B student all my life. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to have to stop you both there because the tyranny of time, we've come to the end. But I want to say to you, in the strongest possible way I can, please keep up your work. It's powerful, it's inspiring, and it's absolutely necessary. And it's interesting that both of you are leaning, are either involved in politics or leaning towards it, because that's a way of getting voices heard, getting people to listen, and getting action. And that's something else that's come out of what this episode has spoken about, which is young people advocating for themselves by knowing what they need. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Parish Caring for Communities. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 